This episode of Game Quest is brought to you by Smoky Mountain Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store focusing on natural products and organic remedies to a variety of ailments. Visit one of the four locations located in Gallenberg, Pigeon Forge, Revereville, and the newest location in Knoxville, 8018 Kingston Pike, across the street from the Trader's Joe. Smoky Mountain Organics features the best brands of CBD products, bath and body care items, organic teas, and have the largest selection of plant therapy essential oils in Tennessee, plus many, many more items. And when you go into one of the four in-store locations, mention VolQuest, and you're going to get 15% off your, your total purchase price. Again, big thanks to Smoky Mountain Organics and your Game Quest Georgia Edition starts now. It's another game day for Tennessee football and first-year head coach Josh Heupel. Get in the know with Game Quest, a Vault Quest pregame podcast with Ben McKee and Eric Kane. Game Quest starts now. Welcome into Game Quest and happy game day, everybody. Tennessee, a homecoming bounce against the top-ranked Bulldogs of Georgia. It just feels weird saying that. Usually, homecoming is against the South Alabamas, against the Bowling Greens. But no, this year, it is against number one Georgia. But uh, still, a lot of excitement coming into this ballgame. Uh, so much of that has to do with the win last week at Kentucky, of course, the way it happened. But also, just this offense in general. Happy game day, Ben McKee. Uh, what's going on today, my friend? Happy game day, my friend. Don't have many more of these. I know. Uh, three more in the regular season, and then we'll get a a fourth in a bowl game with a bowl game. So uh, very thankful for uh, our game day podcast these days as the, the season dwindles down. I think that's the thing I hate most about college football is that it's my favorite sport, but it's only here for like three months. Yeah. And then nine months out of the year, we're waiting for the next season. Three, three months of regular season college football, and then nine months of waiting for the season to return. That, that's what I hate most about college football, but it is what it is, and it, and it makes these podcasts so much more grateful. Uh, at least I feel grateful for these podcasts because we don't get many game days. So happy game day, my friend. Yeah, and uh, you know who knows? You and I haven't talked about it yet, but you know we might do something. You know, as uh, you know, basketball season's here, baseball season's coming. I don't know if it'd be an every Saturday thing, but maybe we'll continue this on. In, I think in we should way. do one every single baseball game, all all sixty of them. As long as you promise every single basketball game and lady ball basketball game that I'm in, I'm good. We we can break down Southern Illinois and lady balls from the other night, Tennessee. Lady Vols in in Orlando tonight to take on uh, a good UCF team. You know, yeah. uh, Ray Burrell had a had an injury scare the other night. Jordan Horston held out uh, due to injury as well. Tamari Key got in foul trouble. I could do this all day with you, Cater. Suarez didn't play. I mean, Lady Vols are down four starters in the second half. Suarez, but... Marta Suarez is out for the year. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah. that that's a, that's a good nugget there. So. Uh, we'll, we'll see how the, the Lady Vols bounce back from avoiding disaster the other night. I was uh, I had to go over to Ball Calls, Calhoun's on the River, to to get a little pregame hit with uh, Coach Rodney Gardner. And I was having dinner there, and I was I was watching it on the television there. Um, and and so I, I actually I actually did get a good chunk of the Lady Vols game, so I could technically do one on that. But no, baseball anytime. But we'll do something. We'll we'll, we'll figure something out as this continues on. But it has been fun. And thank you guys so much for listening. Hey, the numbers for this podcast, I know it's just a weekly podcast and there's a lot of hype for game day. They have been fantastic. More than I could have ever possibly imagined when we came up with this idea uh, over the summer. So thank all of you guys for that. Appreciate you starting your game day out here with us, uh, Eric Kane and Ben McKee. All right, dude. Here it is, dude. It's Georgia. Um, I, 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 let's start here. I This is kind of what I said in, in yesterday's pick segment. I mean, Tennessee's a 20-point dog. Tennessee is playing at home against the top-ranked team in the country in Georgia. We know about that defense. We'll talk about it. We know that the offense has a lot of talent. Um, but I, I feel like it's a different feeling coming into this game compared to years past when it's, all right, let's just get this over with. Uh, here comes Alabama. Here comes Florida. Here comes Georgia. I don't think many people are expecting Tennessee to win. But it's not like I just want to close my eyes and watch it go by. It's, hey, let's see what this team can do against Georgia. Let's see what this offense can do against this defense. I feel like it's been more of that talk this week than just, well, you know, uh, only one more week until we get another win against South Alabama. 
Yeah, it's a really different vibe this week going into a game against a number one opponent. And I think part of that is that the Alabama game gave folks hope that it won't be a complete beatdown like it has been in years past against these type of teams. Uh, But also Tennessee's playing with house money. Georgia has everything to lose in this football game. If if Georgia loses today and then goes out and, and loses to Alabama, it's not going to make the playoffs and loses to Alabama in in the in the SEC championship game. That is so. There, there's a lot of pressure on Georgia right now, Kane. There's there's no pressure on Tennessee. Tennessee has already exceeded expectations. It's going to win seven regular season games after being picked to win three or four by by some folks nationally before the season. Zero people outside of Tennessee were interested in Tennessee football before the season. And now they're going to win seven games in the regular season. They're going to have a chance at, at eight in the bowl game. And they'll, they'll probably play in a good bowl game because Tennessee is going to be a, a very attractive school for a bowl, not only because of the, the fun style of play on the field, but Tennessee fans are really going to travel well to the upcoming bowl game. So Tennessee is playing with house money and Tennessee doesn't have anything to lose. And I think there's there's excitement in that, especially when you look at Javante Payton, Bayless Jones, Cedric Tillman, Hendon Hooker. Those guys can, can connect for a touchdown at a moment's notice. We saw it against Alabama. We saw it against Kentucky, obviously. We, we saw the beginning of it against Florida. We saw it against South Carolina, against Missouri. So a lot of excitement, and I think it all has to do with uh, some hope that Tennessee has already installed from the Alabama game and just the the exciting brand of football and not having anything to lose. Yeah, I mean, don't don't hear me incorrectly here, but uh, you look down the schedule for Georgia, Clemson, Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, Florida. You can make the argument that not only is this the toughest matchup you know, for Georgia just because of the nature of the beast of the offense, but – I mean, Tennessee's playing about as well as some of these teams that I just mentioned right now. I mean, Florida is just quit on Dan Mullen. Florida is toast right now. I'll be interested interested to see how it finishes off the season. Some very winnable games, but that Florida State game there at the very end, how does how does Florida respond and, and finish off this season heading into the offseason? You know, Auburn's been up and down. Bo Nix has been up and down, but it's got some big ones on the year. Arkansas started off hot, lost three straight. Now it's gotten back on track. You know, Clemson is a major disappointment this year. My point is, I mean, Tennessee, you know, those are some of the bigger games on Georgia's schedule. This is a huge game for Georgia this year or, or the, this uh, this season because, you know, though it's a 20-point dog or though it's a 20-point favorite, though it's got the more complete team, though it's got so much depth and better players, it's still a big-time mismatch in terms of just trying to, to, to slow things. I don't want to say big-time mismatch. I I beg my pardon. I, it's just, it's a difficult mismatch in terms of trying to replicate and practice what Tennessee does. And, and that's the big thing. I think the first quarter is going to be huge for uh, this Tennessee football team, like it has been all year long. That's why you know, Tennessee is the best first quarter scoring offense in the country. It's because it takes a little while for defenses to adjust to the pace and then, and then kind of start over. Now, I think that learning curve is going to be a little bit shorter for Georgia because they've got a ton of players because they're well coached because they're just a really, really good defense. But how much of that do you think is going to play a factor in this? I think, you know, for Tennessee to make things interesting, for Tennessee to make it a ball game like at Georgia, like at Alabama, you've got to, and of course, Missouri and South Carolina, you've got to jump out, jump out quickly. You got to score a couple of times in the first quarter. And those are not give me, those are not give me points by any stretch of the imagination. But those are about the best times, the best opportunities to score against superior opponents because, again, they're, they're still just trying to figure some things out. Yeah, and I mean, it, to me, it's just all the, the usual cliches when you preview a matchup against a top-ranked opponent. Tennessee can't beat itself. The, the, the stupid penalties that we talked about going into the Alabama game a couple weeks ago can't happen. Uh, whether it be the Jeremy Banks personal fouls, the the running into the punter, just just silly things like that can't happen in these football games. You you can't beat yourself. It's already hard enough to beat Georgia. You don't need to help them out even more so. Uh, so you, you just you, you can't beat yourself. That is first and foremost. And I, I know I sound like a coach right now, but it, it 
it's, it's funny true. you say that Rodney Garner said that exact same thing of all calls. <laughs> uh, he, he did. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it is, I know I sound like a coach, but it's the, the most true thing that can be said about these type of football games. When, when you're playing a superior opponent, you can't beat yourself. You just can't uh, not only with the penalties, but Tennessee can't have any turnovers. Zero. Absolutely zero. And then defensively, it'll be a tall task. But Tennessee's got to find a way to create turnovers. I mean, they, they have to win the, the turnover margin plus two, plus three in that regard. So uh, and, and I always think of when, when I think of upset games in, in SEC football history, you, you think of quirky plays. And, and obviously we can't sit here and predict quirky plays, but in upsets, they, they happen. I think back to Ole Miss beating Alabama and Tuscaloosa and when Chad Kelly was the quarterback and and just a, a regular 10, 15-yard route, the ball's deflected in the air and some random person comes running by, catches it, and, and scores a touchdown. Auburn's luck there a couple of years ago against Georgia and Alabama with the kick six. I mean, so on and so yeah. forth. Hey, what Tell happens in play. every what happens in every perfect game or no hitter? A great defensive play. Yep, there you go. Some sometime or another. So can't beat yourself. Penalties, turnovers, gotta force turnovers. Um and and you, you need the breaks to go your way. You do have to get a get a little bit lucky and and you bring up a good point of getting off to to a start fast. I, I think that's very uh or a fast start, I should say. That that's very important because you, you want to instill confidence in the players and in, in one another, in yourself, but also you want to keep the fans engaged. Neyland Stadium is going to be rocking this afternoon, and you don't want Georgia to come in and take the air out of the stadium quick, fast, and in a hurry. Yeah, yeah, you definitely don't don't want that. A couple of good little nuggets here that I saw. And I mean, I've seen these stats uh, during my research and throughout the week, but um, our friend Madison Blevins put it all kind of together in one tweet. This is on defense, and I got another one for offense here in a moment. Uh, this Georgia defense, we know it's it's elite. We've talked about it all week long allows 3.93 yards per play, okay? It's allowed five touchdowns all year. It's allowed just 31 explosive plays this season. People describe explosive plays in different ways. I know on stat broadcasts, they describe uh, explosive plays by 15 yards or more. I describe them as 20 yards or more. But regardless, just 31 explosive plays this season and is forced 42 three and outs. Of course, that goes on to the on top of the sets, anybody can find you know 6.6 .6 points per game, a little over touchdown, but not quite the extra point. So I've been phrasing it all week long. That leads the nation, second the nation in total defense and pass defense and rush defense, only 81 yards given up on the ground per game, only allowing 13 first downs on average per game. I mean, that is that is really, really good, holding opponents to 31% um, on third downs. I mean, Ben, this is a defense that we can go up and down the – the personnel pairings and then look at it. They've got players. They play a lot of players. They are incredibly deep. You know, we talk about Tennessee a little limited in the secondary. They're starting to play a little bit more guys as the season's gone on. No depth whatsoever at linebacker. And then, of course, you've got some depth up front. Um, at least you've created some depth up front uh, with that line. But uh, Georgia's just got so many different guys that play. And, and of course, it all starts with, with Jordan Davis in the middle. But this defense it's it's the best defense we've seen in quite some time, probably dating back to what was it, 2012 Alabama? Yeah, 2012 Alabama. And um, it's going to be a challenge, but uh, I, I do believe Tennessee has will have opportunities to, to, to do something because I think Josh Heupel will scheme it up that way. And I think that, again, just the nature of the beast, this offense creates opportunities to uh, find some of those explosive plays. Yeah, and it all starts with Jordan Davis. That, that's the route I was going to go after you read off all of those statistics about Georgia's defense. It all starts and, and stops with him, and, and this stat pretty much summarizes it. Uh, when Jordan Davis is off the field, opponents are averaging 4.2 yards per play. 4.2 yards without Jordan Davis per play, 3.1 yards when he's on the field. So he is a yard difference and makes sense because he is every bit of 6'6", 330 pounds. 340 pounds. He's huge. He And he does not move like his height and weight describe. I mean, he's just a, a, a massive 
human being, and and he is the one that get gets everything going for Georgia. Dude, if I can, real quick, I um, I, I did a one on one with him at SEC Media Days this summer. Hashtag humble brag, right? Um, and and I kid, kid you not, we were staying. It was in, it was in the uh, radio row. Um, so he is so tall, and you know me, I am not so tall. I literally was like, this doesn't work well for podcasting, but Ben can see me right now on Zoom. I was literally like looking up like this. And holding the recorder up like I was, you know, getting something off the shelf. He was a, one of the biggest human beings, literally, I've ever seen. And Same. A, again, that's you know, for a Tennessee offensive line, it starts with him. I couldn't agree more. For a Tennessee offensive line that struggled to protect your quarterback, I, I, you know, Jerome Carvin, Javante Spragans, and of course Cooper Mays, it's going to be a difficult challenge to not, you know, uh, corralling him. And it'll take a couple of bodies for him. And that's why George is so good. It opens up so many opportunities for everybody else down the line. Absolutely. And they, they've allowed five defensive touchdowns all year. Just absolutely stupid. Six touchdowns as a team allowed. Uh, but one of those was a pick six in garbage time. Uh, the defense has only given up five touchdowns in one of those five touchdowns was then garbage time against South Carolina when the second team defense was on the field. So the first team Georgia defense has given up four touchdowns, four touchdowns in nine games. And I, I think Eric touched on this at the beginning of the pod. They, they haven't really played anybody offensively this year. Our Arkansas has some nice pieces. I, I really like Arkansas's offense. Uh, a strong O-line, a good quarterback with K.J. Jefferson. Yeah. They've got some playmakers, that receiver and, and running back. That That's an impressive showing for for Georgia to shut them out. But Clemson's offense, eh, we, we, we've seen that. Yeah. Uh, Carolina, Missouri, their offenses are crap. Uh, they caught Florida at the perfect time when Florida was playing like absolute garbage. So – not trying to take away anything from what Georgia has accomplished this year, but this is the best offense. I think this offense is better right now than Arkansas's offense. I think it's the the biggest test to this point for Georgia. And the question that pops up when you go into this football game is can Tennessee become the first team to score two touchdowns against this Georgia defense? Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a no-brainer. And maybe maybe we've all been a little bit too confident on that regard just because we've seen this offense all year long. By the way, remind me about that Georgia game because that's going to transition uh, our thoughts into uh, uh, Georgia's offense because i got a really good stat on that. But, um, yeah, it's it's a defense that's just been playing playing so well. And, and, again, it's not like I'm saying that if you line up right now, Tennessee would beat all of Clemson, <laughs> Arkansas, Auburn, Florida. I, I think Tennessee could beat some of those teams right now. I definitely do. Um, but still, it's 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 been impressive what they what they get. And I echo your thoughts on on Arkansas as well. That that is a well put together offensive unit, and you know shutting shutting them out was very very impressive. Uh, just before we switch over to offense, I mean, wh- how can Tennessee be successful? I mean, the old cliches: you know, start with the run game, establish the run, open things up over the top. I mean, I say that all the time. I get all that. I got news for you. Tennessee ain't running the football today. Sorry. Just not happening, especially with the question marks in the backfield, the availability and, and durability of a Jabari Small, Tyon Evans, putting a lot, as as uh, as the war room stated, on on, on Tyon Evans, or excuse me, on uh, Lenith Whitehead and, and Jalen Wright and, and Marcus Pierce. Those guys, you know what, are not good at pass blocking either, and that is a major concern of trying to protect him and Hooker. Um, I just feel like it's going to be a struggle for Tennessee to establish the run. But you know Tennessee will try, as they should, uh, because you've got to create some type of balance. I, I think for Tennessee, like in, in terms of trying to attack this Georgia uh, this Georgia defense, you got to play your game, of course, and Tennessee's not going to change itself. you know, got to play your game. But look what it did against you know Florida a little bit. Look what it did against Kentucky last week, attacking the perimeter, getting the ball out quickly, getting it to your playmaker's hands and Javante Payton and Bayless Jones. And letting those guys run and go. And, of course, Cedric Tillman, I'm not leaving him out, but more or less the speedy guys, right? Attack the perimeter, play that perimeter game. Tennessee's been blocking well on on the perimeter here lately. It was a thing of beauty going back and watching that play in slow motion, watching it develop uh, that touchdown last week, play number one in Kentucky with Princeton Fant blocking out, Bayless Jones blocking in, and part of, like, the Red Sea. And all Javon DePayton had to do was make one man miss, and he was gone. Um, It's not going to work like that every time. I get it, but – getting the football out to your playmakers as well. And I, I just I, I feel like the Georgia defense gets, if you want to say this, gets worse 
I don't think there's a, a horrible part of that defense whatsoever, but I think it gets less. I think it gets weaker as you go level to level. Uh, the 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 uh, secondary had to replace about seven guys that played regularly last year. So, and you know, this is game ten of the season. It's not like they're brand new; they're experienced now. But attacking those layer, layers of the defense, uh, but it'll be a challenge because again. The longer Hendon Hooker holds on to the football, the more opportunities it is to to get back there in this Georgia defense and certainly make make some things happen. 29 sacks on the season, 54 tackles for loss, and 13 total takeaways. Tennessee's offensive line has to play its best game of the season in order for it to have success. Cooper Mays, Javante Spragans, Jerome Carvin, more specifically, have to have really good football games they, they have to avoid the catastrophe plays as well where they just whiff on a blitzer or or whiff on their one-on-one and allow Hendon Hooker to get crushed or, or allow Georgia to to force a turnover because Hendon uh, was was under pressure you, you detailed how Tennessee can kind of work around that by getting it out to the perimeter and whatnot, and and that's good, and Tennessee is good at that, and Tennessee will do that, but you can't do it every single play all game long. You're still going to have to try and establish the run. You're still going to have to have some passes where Hendon is going to need time to push the ball down the field. So can this offensive line hold up just enough to, to allow Hendon and the playmakers on, on the perimeter to go make plays? And – if they can, then I, I do think that this is a four-quarter football game. I, I picked Georgia to win 37-17, to 17, and the reason I did is because I don't expect the offensive line to hold up that well. But if it can, this is 1,000% a four-quarter football game because you went into it there a little bit about Georgia's secondary. It's not a bad secondary. It's a good secondary. It just has not been tested this season because this is the best group of receivers that Georgia will have faced this season. Cedric Tillman, Valus Jones, Javante Payton. Um, not only has it not been tested, but it's just not what the front seven is. And I know you kind of struggle to, to find the way to tra- transition to describe what the secondary is. I, I feel you because it, it's it's the weakest part of the defense, but it's not weak. Uh, so I hope people understand it's like saying, what we're well, trying Peyton, to. Peyton Manning throws ducks. Well, Peyton Manning's a damn good quarterback and one of the best to ever do it in the Hall of Famer. It's like you try to pull down a weakness of Peyton Manning's game and stuff. I'm not comparing Georgia's defense to an all-time great quarterback. I'm just saying kind of like that. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sure people can understand what we're trying to describe when it comes to Georgia's secondary because you have Darion Kendrick, uh, one of the starting corners who transferred in from Clemson. He's having a really nice season. Uh, Lewis Klein, uh, a free safety for Georgia, has all SEC potential, is is having a good season. But uh, they go out and they get Tyke Smith from West Virginia, and he comes in and he tears his ACL. That was their starting nickel. He was third-team AP All-American last year at West Virginia with eight tackles for a loss. He will not be playing in this football game. And – uh, Latavius Bernie, uh, a redshirt senior who he started and, and played well this year. He, he's in there at, at, uh, at nickel now. Uh, but the corner corner spot opposite of Darion Kendrick with Keely Ringo and Amir Speed, two two really solid guys, but they're just not, you know, great talents like, mm-hmm. like you see up front in that front seven. So going back to my original point, if Tennessee's offensive line can hold up just enough, Eric, then I do think Valus, Javante, Tillman, Hooker are going to make plays because I, I do think, as crazy as this may sound, Tennessee's receivers are better right now than Georgia's secondary. Can the offensive line protect well enough to give Hendon time? Can they they produce enough in the running game to, to open things up and, and keep a nice balance. That, that's the big question for me in this football game. And if, if Tennessee has offensive success, it's going to be because the offensive line plays better than we anticipate. Another one of those football cliches, it takes all 11. Well, it really, really does. And <laughs> you have no chance of 
of beating a, a team like this unless all 11 are working together and not making uh, self-inflicted wounds. Now, let's look at the opportunity, um, if you want to call it that. You shift over to a Georgia offense that is not bad by any stretch of the imagination. And Ben, tell me if you have different viewpoints on this. Um, I, I just look at it like, nah, it's fine. It's good. I mean, the numbers are good. Um, you've got a lot of good players. Got a lot of toys to play with, even though you know George Pickens is out still with an ACL. Eric Gilbert hadn't played so far. Um, you got a freshman tight end that is just out of this world right now. Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington is a great gadget to have as he continues to to get back into the role of things. Um, got an offensive line that's big and burly. You got five running backs that play routinely, four of which should be dressed out tomorrow. Um, you know we'll we'll, we'll see what it, what this uh, offense can do. But you look at the numbers, and it's fine. I mean, 38 points per game, a lot of that is because it's set up really nicely from the defense, but it's fine with that. But scoring in the red zone, this is from Bill Conley. I saw this note yesterday. Uh, he compared kind of what George is going through right now with, with Michigan and Michigan State game a couple weeks ago. He said, ask Michigan what it's like to lose because you couldn't finish your drives. October 30th, lost to Michigan State. The Wolverines settled for four field goals while the Spartans uh, scored touchdowns on all five chances it had in the red zone. Michigan scored more times. Michigan State scored more points. The Wolverines ranked 90th in the red zone touchdown rate. Georgia ranks 86th. So it's an offense that struggles finishing drives off. But still, it's an offense that moves the football, possesses the football a long time, and is capable of of doing a whole lot. Uh, it's an embarrassment of riches at running back. It's been the same guys we've talked about the last couple of years. Why Cook, Milton, who probably won't play. McIntosh, who had a really nice game against Tennessee. I guess it was two years ago um, when he was a freshman. Edwards is getting more run. But it's year number two of the mailman. Hey, he, he's he's still the guy for Kirby. And Stetson Bennett, he's a guy that's efficient like Hendon Hooker, actually ranks third in the country just ahead of Hendon Hooker. Usually he's not going to make a mistake to beat you, but he's not a guy that's going to throw it over 20 times in a game. He's just not. And Georgia doesn't have to. They're winning just fine. Can Tennessee force him into bad decisions? And if so, could we see old JT Daniels? I've talked to three beat reporters who covered Georgia this week, and all three of them say, I don't know if it'll happen this day, this game, but Old JT Daniels ain't going to be sitting much longer, I can tell you that. Yes, and I think if you're Tennessee, you, you hope that it's not this game in which JT Daniels makes an appearance. Because he's much better than Stetson Bennett. <laughs> yes, and Stetson, well, the way I look at it, Kane, to, to split hairs for, for this particular conversation. You don't rock is, the boat, I get it, yeah. Stetson Bennett is the better quarterback right now JT Daniels just has better arm talent that that's kind of the way I view it because I like I don't think Stetson's a bad quarterback and I know you're not saying that I I agree with your thoughts on the offense like this offense is good it it has talent but I don't think it's an offense that overwhelms you Uh, George Pickens is their best receiver but he tore his ACL in the spring and hasn't played This year, it seems like he's close to returning, but he definitely won't be playing against Tennessee. So there's your one star on the perimeter, but he's out for the year with a torn ACL. And and they have good receivers behind George Pickens, Jermaine Burton, Kears Jackson, Lad Lad McConkey, A.D. Mitchell, who who is from Tennessee, Antioch, as a matter of fact, uh, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. So they have good receivers, but they don't have that one go-to game-changing receiver. Now, they, they have some game-changers at tight end. Brock Brock Bowers, the freshman, Stuck. is the, the, the real deal. He's a three-year player and off to the NFL type of guy. But even John Fitzpatrick behind him, six foot seven, 254 pounds, a great blocking tight end. And, and Darnell Washington, Tennessee fans are, are very familiar with Darnell and his size as, as well. So they have a pass-catching tight end and Brock Bowers, but then they also have John Fitzpatrick and Darnell Washington who come in and and they rock 12 personnel. They rock 22 personnel, uh, which is a, the amount of backs and the uh, amount of tight ends that, that you have. Uh, so if it's 12 personnel, then it's one back, two tight ends, 22 personnel, two backs, two tight ends, so on and, and, and so forth. They bring in that 12 personnel with, with that starting offensive line and they just push people off the ball. Uh, now, their offensive line isn't as dominant as you would think that it is. They, they don't have much depth, and part of that has been 
because of injury. Uh, Tate Ratledge, uh, another name Tennessee fans are familiar with. He's out for the season with a foot injury. Um, Jamari Sawyer, he did not play against Missouri. He's their starting left tackle and their best offensive lineman. And Kirby tried to make it seem like he was 50-50 this week, but it but it sounds like what's coming out of Georgia is that he will not play. So Georgia will be without its offensive line. And redshirt freshman Broderick Jones, another name Tennessee fans are familiar with, uh, he started last week in his place and then played pretty well. So it, it it's not like they're putting a, a scrub in at left tackle, but you're going from a senior to a redshirt freshman. So that that is a big drop-off in my opinion. And, and it's a good Georgia offensive line, Kane, but it, it's kind of been – the starting five, and you better hope they stay healthy. And, again, they're good, but they're not going to dominate you. So uh, I'll be curious to see if if a Tennessee defense that has produced a lot of tackles for a loss this season, and, and the Kentucky game was the first game in which they really didn't do so outside of the, the sacks. Just they had just three, and they were all sacks. They didn't have any TFLs in the running game, which was more surprising to me. I'll be curious to see if Tennessee can create some plays in the backfield. Yeah, should be interesting. Uh, in this Tennessee defense, you know, we 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 talked about it on on post game pods, on on chats, and on you know podcasts and roundtables and all that. I feel like the last couple of games is the Tennessee defense we expected this year, and you know that that's kind of sour because it was overachieving and, and and times playing very well, right? Um, it's just when you don't have any players, and what I mean by that is you don't you lack some talent, but you also just lack players, bodies, right? Um, and you're playing 101, 92, and 99 plays in the, each of the last three games. This is the definition of wear and tear, and you're kind of just seeing what it is here at the end of the season. And in that regard, it's very unfortunate that, that uh, your next opponent's the number one team in the country, right? So I, I'm intrigued to see how this defense responds. It was it was not not a good game against Kentucky. Do I think Will Levis will play like that ever again? I do not. Um, do I think that Kentucky's offense, you know, will score forty points many more times? I mean, obviously this year's almost over, but I, I just they will I, this weekend. Uh, Vanderbilt, right? Yeah. Will Levis will have a better game than he did against Tennessee, and they will score more points. So that's incorrected. Maybe this weekend. Uh, you know, and we know that Kentucky's good at the line of scrimmage. We know Kentucky's got some good backs and everything. I just I didn't see Tennessee's defense getting just straight bullied for four quarters. I will say, stepped up, made four made four stops on four plays there to end the football game. Job well done, stepping up. All because of pressure. Yep, and, and that leads me to what I'm going to ask here. You know, Alante Taylor, the pick six, too, was huge. If you're Tim Banks and, and he's, he's been dealt a, a tough hand, I get all that. I know he's gotten a lot of criticism this week about his defensive game plan, but it's hard to, it's hard to blitz. Why? Because you have to run man coverage behind it, okay? A lot of people complain about uh, Trayvon Flowers and, and Jalen McCullough being so slow. Well, when you're in man coverage, you're man coverage. You got to be able to keep up with the guy. It's you're limited in the back end whenever you blitz. Having said that, I'd mix it up. I'd mix it up. Not, I mean, don't blitz every single play. You can't do that. But I would mix it up. I would bring more pressure from the second and third layer of the defense this week. Try to keep Stetson Bennett off balance a little bit. And uh, because I felt like the majority of the game until, uh, until the end, you know, Tennessee was just saying, hey, we're going to play zone, you know, just pick pick us apart if you can. And boy, did Will Levis pick you apart in zone. Tennessee's zone in the last two weeks has been so soft, so soft. I think pressure from the front four can help with that. Um, and that might be a challenge this week, but I would mix up that. I'd mix in a little bit of zone and I would just say, hey, you know, we don't want to be in, in man coverage an awful lot, but we're going to have to be. Uh, because I think that's when Tennessee's defense plays uh, its best, whenever he can send some guys, put pressure on the quarterback, and force them into bad decisions. Yeah, I feel bad for the conundrum that Tim Banks is in. And I mean, even during the Kentucky game, I know Tennessee was able to generate pressure in the fourth quarter, and, and that was the difference in the football game. But you can't do it every single play. Yep. Because good teams, good coaching staffs, good players, like you're facing this weekend, will figure it out and adjust uh, to – the, the blitzes and, and the pressure and you, you, you don't trust your secondary if, if you're Tim Banks. So you want to put more in coverage to help your secondary. You want to drop more in coverage, but you also, when you do drop in coverage, you can't get home on a three or four man pass rush. You, you have to, to bring extra bodies 
to generate a pass rush. So I, I don't know what you do if you're Tim Banks uh, <laughs> because you, you can't drop a bunch of guys and rely on your defensive line to, to single-handedly generate pressure because they're not capable of doing so. And then you and then when you do bring more pressure, as you described, Kane, that, that leaves your secondary on an island. And, and Tennessee's secondary is not good enough to be left on an island. So it, it, it the last – and I'm more so speaking about Kentucky because Alabama's offense is the real deal. Mm-hmm. But against Kentucky, I mean – that that was the defense I expected to see coming into the season. And it, it's really unfortunate when you look at this game against Georgia that Tennessee's defense isn't better. Because, again, I, I don't think Georgia's offense is great. I think they're good. If, if you have a good defense, you can keep Georgia's offense in check. They, they don't have receivers that scare you. They don't have tight ends that scare you. They don't have an, an offensive line that just – takes your soul and just completely destroys you on the ball for 60 minutes. They don't have a, a I don't think Stetson Bennett's a championship level quarterback. And, and even the running backs, they they have good running backs. They, they absolutely do. You mentioned their stable of backs earlier, Zamir White, James Cook, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh. They're all really good backs, but they're not the backs that we've become used to at Georgia. Nick Chubb, Todd Gurley, Sonny Michelle, guys like that. They're, they're not that. So it's really unfortunate that this Tennessee defense isn't better, Kane, because I think a good defense could certainly stifle this offense. And how how nice would it be for this Tennessee offense to, to have time bought for them while they figure things out against that Georgia defense? It's really unfortunate that Going into the game on paper, it doesn't look like Tennessee's defense is going to be able to help out the offense that much unless it can can find a way to come up with those quirky turnovers, quirky plays that we talked about off the top. Yeah, uh, to go back to something you said a moment ago about you know how um, the Tennessee defense is the last game against Kentucky is what, what you thought it was going to be all year long. Thank God. Th- I mean, thank God it wasn't, right? Because, I mean, that was just bad. It was demoralizing. It was hard to watch. It was bad. And, uh, again, I think it speaks to this defensive staff for getting, again, as much as it has out of this unit. I mean, guys, you got Aaron Beasley playing linebacker, for goodness sakes. And he made some serious progress, but in my opinion, it's it's all been gone the last two weeks. Um, but That's not what Brian Jean-Marie told me. He said that he – it's not that he's playing poorly. Bad, bad first not, quarter and responded well. He's not playing up to the standard. Not playing poorly, but not playing up to the standard, a.k.a. he's been playing poorly. But but thanks for putting the coach spin on it, Coach John Marie. I, I like I did Coach too. BJ doing that. You absolutely uh, take after your player. And, and I wasn't asking that question to to, to see to confirm that Aaron up, Beasley yeah. is struggling. It's clear that Aaron Beasley is struggling. But uh, I was asking because of the point that you made is that he had been making progress mm-hmm. and then boom. He, he kind of ran into a brick wall, so I was just curious as to his thoughts on why he has run into that. I did find it interesting, as you mentioned, that Coach BJ, Brian Jean-Marie, thought that he played poorly in the first quarter, but then got it turned around for the rest of the game. I, I think he said, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, did he say like his fits were really bad in the first quarter, but in that regard it got better as the game went on? And that might be true. Overall, I mean, I watched that game back on tape and took notes. I mean, I, I didn't see much improvement, but uh, don't worry, BJ, Coach BJ, we'll 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 tell it how it is. But nah, I'm with you. You're never gonna you're never gonna throw your player under the bus there. Um, and, and again, it's not like Aaron Beasley was the only one. There there were there were others as well. So uh, just need to get some reinforcements, some more bodies. And that's why I asked the question. Um, I was like, I mean, because you know, if we're talking just you and I on this podcast, it's like, okay, you're playing three backers right now. Linebacker play has been horrific the last three games. How bad or how far off are Pat Garland, Morvin Joseph, who's uh, no longer here anymore, William Mohan, um, and uh, I'm missing one more, Aaron Willis. How far off are those guys? Because well, it's it's been so, – and I understand that the, they were behind the pack and had to be developed in a hurry. I get that. But how far off are those guys to not play? Well, Pat Garland's a walk-on. Was yeah, a walk-on. Former safety too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I, I – Folks hyping him up in the spring were always wrong. I thought that at the time. The only reason he was taking so many reps during the spring is because everybody was hurt. And in fall camp, I didn't get it either. Well, in fall camp, he wasn't taking near as many snaps, reps as he was in the spring. Um, 
Aaron Willis was just so far behind the eight ball because he went out and, and wanted to choose violence in the dorm room instead of practice football. That, that's why Aaron Willis is so far behind. And I think William Mohan's more, more so working on the edge rather than on the inside. So I, I think that's why we haven't seen a ton of, of Mr. Mohan, Mr. Apache, as his nickname is. He's a good-looking kid. He, he's just behind, I mean, think behind Byron Young, Tyler Barron, and I know Roman doesn't play a lot, but he's behind Roman Harrison as well. So that, that, that that's my thought process and, and my explanation on the ones that you mentioned. It's it's weird too because I mean we 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 really have not seen this team practice since fall camp, and so um, you know they move guys around a little bit inside outside. He, he was taking some reps on the inside, but so was Morvin Joseph. They were they were kind of doing bouncing around, uh, and I think that was the biggest thing for him. No one knew where he could play, you know, right? But I think he's got some talent as well. But yeah, so anyway, I, that's just another example of how this team lacks depth, and you know it's going to have to improve. You know, year one to year two to year three, it'll take a little while um, overall to get the numbers where they need to be. Let's get to bold prediction time. Um, my bold prediction—I forgot what it was last week—something about running game, and it took a little while to get going. I didn't reach it, obviously, but uh, Tennessee finally got the run game going a little bit, and it, it looked a lot better than what you, I thought. You it was said like be. 150 rushing yards or something like that. Yeah, and I forgot what they ran for. I think they got over – I think maybe like 120 or something. Um, anyway. Because right. I was uh, making fun of you for for your, your not-so-bold rushing all right. number. Well, here's my not-so-bold prediction for this week. It's not – again, it's not so bold. Either way you want to look at it, too. I, I think – give me Tennessee winning the turnover battle. Will it be enough? I don't know. Um, but give me Tennessee winning the turnover battle. Hendon Hooker's so efficient. He usually does not turn the football over. That will be tested this week. You know, backs will have to hold on to the football and all that. But can Tennessee's defense respond and, and, and create for the offense? Can Tennessee's defense, you know, put a hat on a ball, knock it loose, scoop, you know, uh, you know, uh, jump in front of a pass, interception, all that type of stuff? You know, let's see. Let's see. I mean, I, I, I think Tennessee needs to take some chances defensively, take more chances than what it's done so far this year. Uh, because the la- the product of the field the last couple of games has just not been good enough. And so, you know, we'll see. Give me Tennessee winning the turnover battle. And, um, you know, will it be enough? I don't know. But that's that's what I'll go with. I'm, I'm going to stick with my same bold prediction. Last week uh, I said Tillman, Payton, Valus would all have deep ball touchdowns. And I got two of the three uh, to, to Payton and – and and Valus, although oh, Peyton's yeah. wasn't really a deep ball, but it it, it counts, counts in, it in, counts. The, in the stats. I just needed Tillman to, to punch that one he caught near the goal line in, and I would have got it right there. I would have been three for three. I, I'm doing the same one, but I'm going to say two, and I'm going to go Tillman and Peyton. I think hit on on deep balls for a touchdown this week, and uh, Tennessee becomes the first offense to score two touchdowns against Georgia because of Cedric Tillman and Javante Payton deep balls. Real quick, uh, we're about to call quits here. What did you think about Cody Burns' comments saying, um, I know you and Swain have been high on uh, Cedric Tillman, as everyone else should be. His turnaround's been really, really good. And and I think that he deserves a lot of praise. But Cody Burns saying, I truly believe he's one of the best wide receivers in this league. That still kind of took me by shock a little bit. Yeah, and I I had a tweet on Saturday night. I don't know if you saw it, but I – after the touchdown that he had, after his deep ball catch, the, the two that he made back-to-back, uh, I tweeted that it's time to start talking about Cedric Tillman as one of the best receivers in the SEC. Uh, so I felt a little good about myself when Cody Burns came out and, and said that. And I, I, know, I, I know he's going to come out and, and, and talk about his guys in a positive manner. And, and the stats don't necessarily back it up, but I think you have to have a little context when evaluating – the best receivers in, in the NFL or the NFL. Uh, Tillman is a future NFL receiver, but right now he's an SEC receiver. But you, you, you need a little context. Summer? Man. I, I know. Yeah. You, you need a little context uh, when, when you look at the stats in terms of where Tillman ranks in the SEC. I mean, he's top 15 in receptions, yards, and touchdowns, which which is impressive. But I, I, I truly think he's one of the best – Receivers in the SEC, even though he doesn't have 71 catches like a Wanda Robinson from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cedric Tillman just has 36 catches, 525 yards, 
and five touchdowns, but you need a little context in the sense of he's become one of the best SEC receivers. And I, as I said, it's now time to start talking about him as one of the best receivers in the SEC because he's become one over the course of the season. And now towards the second half of the middle, the second half of the season, his production matches that. I mean, I, he's in the conversation with John Mechie, Wanda Robinson, Traylon Burks, Jamison Williams, Dontario Drummond at Ole Miss, Keyshawn Boutte at LSU. I mean, he's in that that conversation for for me. I mean, he, he really is. Uh, he doesn't have the NFL potential or, or the natural skill set that some of those guys have, but he's just a good college football player. And right now he's one of the best receivers uh, in the league, and I, I would imagine that – it would be hard to find a more trustworthy mm-hmm. possession receiver in the SEC right now. Yeah, I 100% agree with that right there. He is a fantastic possession receiver. And I thought coming into the season, because I saw a lot of plays when they were working on goal line, not goal line, but red zone stuff and and possession type things, third and mid, third and long. I was like, man, he's going to be a threat on third downs. He's going to be a threat in the red zone. And that that's true. He has been, but he's been a threat on se- first and second downs as well, just about anywhere on the field. So it's like when you mention all those guys, which name doesn't belong? And it's Cedric Tillman, who had eight career catches coming into this season. And I think that's a testament to Cody Burns, this offensive coaching staff, and of course Tillman uh, for truly being a, a baller this year. He has, without a doubt, been a baller. All right. Homecoming today. First time Tennessee plays an SEC opponent on homecoming since 2013. Auburn, I don't much know why they scheduled this for homecoming, but here it is. And uh, Tennessee welcomes the top-ranked Bulldogs of Georgia uh, into Neyland Stadium. I think my score prediction was 41-20. to 20. Ben, you said yours was what again? 37-17. to 17. And I know that's a big number, but hey, it's it's covering the 21-21. The point spread and and hopefully this homecoming game against an SEC team goes much better than that 2013 SEC homecoming game against Auburn because that game against Auburn was absolutely miserable. And let's see if this is much better than the 2017 game against Georgia. Last time Tennessee wore alternate uniforms against Georgia, that was 40 to nothing. And I don't understand wearing black jerseys against a team that has black as one of its primary colors. (laughs) <laughs> also, I'm of the opinion, everybody who listens to the Swain event heard me go on a rant about this on Thursday. But if you play Alabama, Georgia, or Florida, or when you play those teams, you should be in your traditional orange uniform. Gosh, I, get made fun, uniform. I get made fun of for being the old man in the mornings over on the sports animal. Look at you, brother. Oh, I I, I adopted uh, the nickname Boomer Ben on, on Thursday. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> for, for for that take. Real quick before we get out of here, talking about it being a, a huge weekend for Tennessee, a big opportunity, big weekend for recruiting as well, and we'll have plenty of recruiting coverage throughout the weekend. Did want to mention some of the uh, visitors that are expected in town this afternoon. Walter Nolan, thought that was interesting. Kane, after he commits to A&M, going to make his way over for an unofficial against the Vols. The one official visitor is Keontae Scott, big-time junior corner that that Tennessee really likes. Uh, a lot of teams in the country <clears throat> going after him. Uh, you've got James Pierce making his third unofficial visit, and and he is at the top of uh, the board for Tennessee on the edge. That would be a big one to get in the boat for Tennessee. Demario Tolan, the LSU That's commitment. huge. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I spoke with Demario back in the summer, and I, I was a big fan of Demario. He's, mm-hmm. he's a really good kid. Dad's a Tennessee fan. Dad is a Tennessee fan, and I believe his family is going to be accompanying him yep. this this weekend. So, which is which uh, they, they still like like I think someone said it maybe Brent in the warm or something like they still have an official too, and so the fact that yep. his family is coming right now that that's big time. Well, and that, that's the same for James Pierce. Uh, James Pierce coming for a third time. Family's going to be with him, yep. and they still have James Pierce's un- or uh, official visit uh, in their back pocket. And, and two surprise visitors: Cody Jones, Caden Pope. They're they're expected to be in town today. Cody Jones, the the defensive back who was committed to Michigan from over in West Tennessee. It uh, seems like Tennessee is trending well there. And then how about Caden Pope? That that's a real surprise mm-hmm. for me, even more so than Walter. Uh, just because it, Tennessee struggled to gain traction in that one, uh, the the receiver from Savannah, Tennessee, the cousin of Latrell Bumpus, 
I, I wonder how much it's been Tennessee, maybe not pushing that cart a ton, or, or how much it's been Caden not really listening. So, so those are the main ones that stick out. And maybe I should have led off with Justin Williams, the running back from West Virginia, or that is committed to West Virginia, that is from Georgia. Tennessee really likes him and, and would like to get him in the boat as a bigger back. One official visitor, that would be Keontae Scott. Okay, so that's uh, a lot of unofficials being here, but he is the one official. And I, I think I'm, I, I think I'm, I was talking about James Pierce, not Demario Tolan. He he took an official in the summer, so um, I, I was talking about James Pierce when I said the family comment. But nonetheless, uh, like Ben said, big time recruiting weekend, and let's play my favorite game. Will Walter Nolan and or James Pierce pick up the phone when I call them on Sunday because they don't like to talk to me on the phone? I have to. I have to drive out to Powell to talk to Walter Dolan, and he's always great in person. Don't like to talk to me on the phone. So, <laughs> no, Walter will be sleeping when you call around lunchtime yes. tomorrow. Yes. And I will talk to his lovely mother, and she's always so nice. I never talked to Walter, so we yep. will see. And, uh, James Pierce, who knows? Maybe. Dude, I I struck gold that time. I, I was like, you know what? I've tried calling James Pierce. Text them, hitting them up. We've texted a little bit. I try, I've tried calling him like four or five times. I'm just going to randomly call him this night, eight o'clock. Got him. And I talked to him. He was not having it, not wanting to talk. He's just a guy that don't want And that's fine. I mean, everyone's different. He's just, a he's guy just over the it. recruiting process. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. But uh, we will see. All right. So plenty of coverage coming up at ballquest.com all weekend long. Of course, our normal game day stuff uh, as the day goes on. The cheat sheet will be later, two-minute drill. All of our post-game coverage has been said. We'll have recruiting notes all weekend long. And this game quest is brought to you by Smoky Mountain Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store focusing on natural products and organic remedies to a variety of ailments. Visit one of the four locations in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Sevierville, and the newest location in Knoxville, 8018 Kingston Pike, across from the Trader Joe. Mention VolQuest and the in-store locations and you're going to get 15% off your total purchase price. Enjoy game day, everybody. Tennessee takes on top-ranked Georgia today at 3.30. As they dialed in, game thread all game long, post-game coverage for Ben McKee. I'm Eric Kane. This has been your Game Quest Georgia edition. You've been listening to Game Quest, a VolQuest pregame podcast with Ben McKee and Eric Kane. Stay dialed in to VolQuest.com for complete game day coverage. This has been GameQuest, a VolQuest production.